0: Oh God, you do call all of your people to live for the praise of your glorious grace. Uh, And we know that that's true for us wherever we're at, whoever we are. We pray that you'll give us wisdom as we consider um, how we might use the life that you've given us for your glory, for the building up of your kingdom, for the advance of the gospel uh, in whatever way that um, that looks like for us in our own circumstances, in our own situation. Uh, We thank you for the CV conference, and we pray for all those who attend that it will be powerfully used by you. Uh, Please raise up many people, um, many leaders in your church, many others who will um, uh, uh, be used by you in powerful ways um, to spread the gospel of Christ. We pray now, Lord, as we hear your word read to us, uh, and we thank you for it. We thank you for the precious gift of your word to us. And we pray that you might challenge us and change us and renew us in it this morning. We pray as we hear it read and as Paul comes to explain that and proclaim that to us, we pray that you'll give us soft hearts, give us minds that can understand it and wills that are ready to follow you. And we pray that for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Meredith. Joshua chapter
1: 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they'd come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless, when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads." we will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua son of Nun and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us.
2: Thank you, Meredith, and wonderful to be with you again today. If it's possible for you to have that bit of the Bible open in front of you, that'll be very handy. There's an outline in the leaflet which should give you some idea of where we're heading. So let me pray and let's look at it together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're a God who speaks to us. Uh, Father, we thank you for uh, what we learn here in the book of Joshua. Uh, Father, we, we see you interacting in a most gracious way and we pray that uh, for us we'll understand that grace more clearly as we consider uh, these incidents that occurred several thousand years ago but are still rich in terms of the way in which you act in people's lives. So, Father, go before us this morning, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, the US Tennis Open has been uh, played over these last couple of weeks in the finals of this weekend, and Serena apparently got cleaned up last night. Uh, and uh, so Margaret Court still holds the record of the most grand slam. She still has that by herself just for the moment. And tonight I think it's Djokovic and Del Potro who uh, play off in the great final. You may want to write while I'm talking about this. Uh, apparently the highest-ranking player for Australia is Nick Kyrgios, And if you've seen him play, you know he's an extraordinarily gifted athlete, right? Athletically, he he can do amazing things on the court. But I want to tell you, he's probably not the man I would point my children or my grandchildren to as a model of sportsmanship. Right? If you've ever seen him play, he's always doing his na, smashing his rackets and yelling at the umpire and deciding he's just not going to play anymore. You know? He just drops games all the time. Right? He, is, he is not the man I would promote for that purpose. If I wanted people to find out about uh, God and how to have a relationship with him, almost certainly I would not direct them to Richard Dawkins, right, who is perhaps still the most famous atheist on the planet. He would not be my go-to man. And so today when we come to Joshua chapter 2, we find a chapter that's full of similar sorts of surprises. But the most surprising thing is that Rahab, a prostitute who worships other gods, she is held up as the hero of the faith. Right, Rahab. She is the one we're meant to follow. Remember last week, Joshua chapter 1, uh, there's a crisis for the people of God. Moses is dead, right? And that information is repeated time after time in the first chapter of the Great. Moses, who'd led these people for 40 years to the edge of the Promised Land and now back to the edge of the Promised Land again, he has died. So, what's going to happen to this people? Well, Joshua is appointed and he instructs them to get ready to go across into the Promised Land. And we're told in chapter 1, verse 16, the people say, Joshua, whatever you have commanded, we will do. Right? So it's, it's a good start. So what do you expect to happen next? Right? Instructions to go into the land. Joshua says, get ready to go into the land. They say, we'll do it. I expect what happens in chapter 3, verse 1, is the next thing will happen. Right? Chapter 2 almost seems like a parenthesis. Chapter 3, verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out from Shittim and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. I expect them to go into the promised land. But instead, what we get is chapter 2, verse 1. This command from Joshua. Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. He said, go and look over the land, especially Jericho, So they went and entered into the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Now, you may be thinking, you know, good strategic sort of plan, go to this house because a lot of people go there and maybe all the information is collected in this spot. Mm, Maybe. But if you know the storyline of the Bible to this point, the fact that they go into the promised land in this way should be ringing lots of alarm bells, okay? A lot of alarm bells. Back in Numbers chapter 13, so this is 40 years before this incident, they'd come to the same spot. They were looking into the promised land and Moses sent spies into the land. And when those spies came back, they discouraged God's people. They sort of um, eroded their confidence instead. And so you think, well, maybe this is not such a smart move. But then it's confirmed because these spies are from Shatim. And so you immediately, well, you don't immediately, but but if you've been reading to this point, you go to Numbers 25. And there we're told the men of Shatim they slept with pagan women. So these two 007s go across and the first place they go to is a brothel, right? This is, not looking pro- this is not the place you'd expect the men of God to be. All right? There's lots of issues going on here. And then when they return, what do you expect spies to tell people? You know, what, what report should they give to Joshua. Well, they've got this many army, and this is the stuff they've got. You know, these are the fortifications. Here are the weak spots. If we're smart, we'd attack this, this weak point in order to overcome them. You'd expect that sort of detailed information. But instead, this is what they say, verse 24 of the chapter. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people melt in fear because of us. How did they know that that was the case? Well, here's the most surprising thing. The person that teaches them about God and the fact that God is going to give them the land is Rahab. She teaches them that God can be trusted. Rahab, the prostitute. Now, she's not only a hero of the faith here in Joshua, if we went to the New Testament to a place like Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, listen to how she's mentioned there. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. In fact, here in Hebrews chapter 11, Rahab has her name up in lights with Abraham and Moses, two great heroes of the faith. You see, she, she really is an unusual star. It'd be like extolling the humanitarian virtues of Kim, Kim Jong-un, right, or the wonderful humility of Donald Trump, right? You sort of go, it doesn't quite stick, does it, you know? It doesn't quite make sense. Well, it's the same when you think about Rahab being a hero of the faith. So let's take a closer look at this woman and why she's such a star. You pick up the story in verse two. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelite spies have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they've come to spy out the whole land. These spies, they're not really very good, are they? They just get into the land and immediately they're compromised. The king's secret police are onto it. And our two Israelite 007s are about to be arrested. That's the situation. Straight up. But then there's the twist in the plot. Because Rahab helps them. Verse 4. She'd taken the two men and she'd hidden them. Uh, I want you to think for a moment about uh, the, the AFL system right now and who's in the finals, I want you to imagine that Eddie Maguire, who is the president of the Collingwood Football Club, right, comes out publicly and says, although I'm president of the Collingwood Football Club, deeply down, I long for Richmond to win the grand final this year, right? Now, if you know Eddie Maguire, you think, it is just never going to happen, right? Just never going to happen. Now. For Rahab to help these spies, she is committing treason that is punishable by death. It's serious. But also, you see this heroine here in this chapter is a silken-tongued liar. Lie number one, verse four. When she's questioned, she says, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. Right? Lie number two, verse five. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, the men left. Right? Lie number three: I don't know which way they went. Right? And then lie number four: Go after them quickly. You may still be able to catch them. These porky pies, they just roll off her tongue. You know she, She's obviously quite gifted in this area. And then, when the attention is elsewhere, she helps these guys escape back home. So why is she a woman of great faith? Why is she sort of put up there with Moses and Abraham as a great one? Often when people come to this section of the Bible, the discussion they get caught up on is the question of when it's appropriate for a Christian person to be able to lie uh, instead of telling the truth. Is there a situation where you can do that? You know, Can I say this chapter's got not much to do with that at all? Almost nothing, I would say. That isn't the focus of this particular part of the Bible. So what is the point of this part of the Bible? What do we learn from Rahab? Let me say the first thing we learn is about Unexpected grace. As far as I can tell, Rahab is probably about as far away from the Lord as you can possibly get, okay? Thinking back to children's talk, right down here, right? (laughs) With uh, Darth Vader, I don't think Darth Vader was there, but the Hulk and a few other celebrities. Right, Rahab, in terms of her lifestyle and convictions, because she's a worshipper of other gods. She is way down here. Runs a brothel. But this is what she says, verse 9. I know the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear of you. She recognises who God is. is and she believes his promises and she receives mercy if we fast forwarded to Joshua chapter 6 when the Israelites actually invade Jericho Jericho is destroyed but Rahab and her family are spared can I just say if Rahab can receive mercy then anyone can I was 20 years old when I became a Christian, and I remember all my mates used to call me Harry, right? Creative use of my surname, all right, Harry. Feel free to use it, don't. Um, <laughs> they call me Harry. When the news got out to my mates that I'd become a Christian, one of my best friends said this, if Harry can become a Christian, anyone can. Right? That's, that's what he said, and it was true. See, I spent my whole life really being cynical and arrogant and rejecting God and convincing people that they were stupid to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was running as far away from God as I possibly could. But God, in his kindness, was very merciful to me so that I realised what I was doing in not treating God the way I should. And I turned to put my trust in him. Now that was an act of his grace, pure and simple. Maybe that's your situation today, uh, where you you might be 90, you might be 8, but you might be in a situation where you know that it's not good enough to have the faith of your parents or you've realised you've come to a point where It's not good enough just to rely on what you've done for yourself. Can you receive mercy? If Rahab can receive mercy, then anyone can. Perhaps you can think of uh, friends or family member, and when you think about them, you think, there is just no way, no way they're going to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. I can it's often hardest with people we know best. If Rahab can receive mercy, friends, anyone can. If Rahab can receive mercy, if I can receive mercy, if you can receive mercy, then anyone can receive mercy. Rahab is just a wonderful model of God's grace. Second thing I reckon we learn is this. God can use anyone. Often when I'm talking to people who've been followers of the Lord Jesus Christ for some time, they will tell me they feel they've sort of disqualified themselves from being useful to God because of the way in which they've lived their life or some sin that's dogged them over a period of time. They would say, yeah, yeah, I'm saved, but as far as I can tell, I'm just a bit of a dead weight for the church and all the other Christians are dragging me and eventually we'll get to heaven, you know. But that's, that's all I am, a lead weight that just that holds people back. Can I say by definition, church is a start-again community? That's the nature of this family of God's people. And again, Rahab is such a wonderful example. If we went to the start of Matthew's Gospel all about the life of Jesus, that gospel starts off by giving us a detailed analysis of Jesus' family tree. When you get to uh, verse five of chapter one, uh, we're we're introduced to Rahab. But prior to that we're told about Abraham, who's the father of Isaac. And generally throughout this family tree, it's the male, the males in the line that are highlighted. Now, when we get the females mentioned, it's to make a point. When you get to verse 5, we're told about Salmon, who is the father of Boaz, and then we get this sort of bit in brackets, whose mother was Rahab. The message here is that ultimately, through this woman who has received mercy, the Lord Jesus comes through that line, and the whole world is blessed. Friends, if God can use Rahab in this sort of way, he can use you. You're never a dead weight in the family of God. And I want to say to you, that is God's nature. That's the way in which he operates. Listen. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Paul the Apostle, writing to the Corinthian church, and let me say that it was a church that was a real mess, and this is what he says to them. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So that no one may boast before him. You might feel inadequate or unimpressive or ordinary or a failure, and it just doesn't matter. God can use you. Some of you have asked about the time. Sue and I had this opportunity in turn 2 to go overseas, and we, we had some study leave and we had some holidays. And it was terrific. For part of the time, we, we were caught up with the church leadership in Edinburgh and were talking to them about church planting and we we're sitting over lunch with the pastor and his wife, just basically the four of us, on a, a Sunday after church. And this pastor said to me, he said, it's very encouraged to ca- ca- encouraging to catch up with you. you know, we've been talking about whether they could plant a network of churches like we had in Adelaide. He said, it's really encouraging to catch up with you. And then he hesitated and said, because your... Um, and I saw him searching for the word he was looking for. Right? He said, "You're so normal." He said, and I think the word he jumped over the top of to get to normal was ordinary. You know, <laughs> but he didn't think that was probably the right word to use. He said, "You're not. You don't seem that gifted or amazing as a leader, and yet God seems to have used you. You know, perhaps He could use me too." You know, what <laughs> he said, "I felt strangely warmed by his words." Right? <laughs> It actually is a wonderful thing that I could encourage him, by whatever means, to feel that way. Because after all, it is all about God and not about us. And I want to say to you, God delights in using us in all our frailty, with all our weaknesses, with our moderate, our of, uh, you know, moderate amounts of giftedness, all in order to glorify him. God can use us. Here's the third thing that uh, we learn from Rahab. This is the God who judges. Now, this is not a popular truth, but it really comes out very clearly in this chapter. One of the most powerful motivators for Rahab, you see it in verse 9. I know the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all in this country are melting in fear because of you. Then you pick it up in verse 11. The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And then in verse 13, she has a request. Please spare our lives. Now notice what's happening here. She fears the Lord of heaven and earth more than she fears the king of Jericho. That is so clear. And she knows that she needs to turn to the Lord or she will be destroyed. That's the reality. So let me ask you a question. Is it a good thing or a bad thing for people to turn to God because they're in fear? Good motivation? Bad motivation. So I know it's not a popular motivation. But let me say, in the Old Testament, often I hear people saying in the Old Testament, we encounter a God who is the God of judgment. Then you get to the New Testament, it sort of flips, you know, and we get to the God who is the God of love, not the God of judgment. You know, that and that's epitomized in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I say when we look at the Bible overall, the key is to face up to reality and the God of the Bible is both and he's both in the, both the Old and the New Testament. The God who judges and the God who is full of love. I think the key is to face up to reality. I want you to imagine this coming summer uh, that the, you know, all the surfers are piling down to Victor Harbour to go surf. What's the most popular surf beach around here? What is it, Basham's or... Hmm? Middleton. Middleton, yeah, okay, Middleton Beach, okay, and let's say um, the life, surf lifesavers, you have helicopters who do surf patrols for sharks down here, or just the life whatever. Let's say there's a helicopter and surf lifesavers who are patrolling, and they notice all these, all these surfers, you know, 442 surfers, all cutting each other off out in the waves, and. These surf lifesavers notice that there's a school of sharks. Is it school? Not sure. School of sharks, right? Hovering out in the water, great white pointers, and they think we don't want to scare the surfers, right? So we won't tell them what's going on, right? Now, if you're a surfer, you probably wouldn't be that impressed by that. You'd probably prefer it that the lifesavers, you know, actually warned you that there was a great white pointer who was about to cut your board in half or something like that. Can I say, it is exactly the same when it comes to God. He has promised a day of judgment at the end of the age for everyone who just ignores him and doesn't treat him as Lord of heaven and earth. There is a day coming of judgment. And therefore it is right to warn people to turn and to repent and to put their trust in him. That's a good motivation. We cannot isolate the love of God from the judgment of God. Because otherwise it makes a nonsense of love. Let me read to you from Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us now you hear that God shows his love for us in this love for who for sinners who deserve judgment therefore death comes but it's covered by the death of Jesus so we can experience the love of God the judgment is taken by Jesus so that we can have forgiveness It deals with judgment. I want to say to you that Rahab is a realist and she, by her example, calls upon us to be realists as well. Final point of application, and just briefly at this point, is that Rahab also teaches us about what it means to have true faith. When the spies return to Joshua, they say this, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands because all the people are melting in fear, Because of us. All the people are scared, apparently. Now, how did these spies know it? Did they take a census? No. These are the words of Rahab, verse 9. I know the Lord has given the land to you, and the great fear has fallen on all of us. See, Rahab believes that the people of God, the Israelites, are the owners of the land even before they've set foot in it. She's absolutely confident about that. Now, why is she confident about it? Because of their, you know, their powerful armies, because these spies are obviously so impressive. My guess is not on both counts. I mean, these spies are just hiding behind her skirt, aren't they? They're not great men. Why? Well, because she knows that God is on their side. Verse 11. The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Well, back in verse 10, we heard how he dried up the water of the Red Sea. Rahab says, God is on your side, game over. That, that's it. And you can almost hear the spies, can't you? Going, yeah, our God's pretty good, you know? <laughs> it's almost, they're needing to be almost convinced by this woman. Can I say, that, that is such an easy truth to forget, when circumstances are tough, or when you're being mocked, or when you're being attacked for your Christian conviction, it's so easy to focus on how weak and insignificant you feel. But the focus of true faith is dominated by a powerful view of who God is. And Rahab gets it. But I also want you to notice that the true faith requires action, not just mental agreement with the fact that God exists. Verse 9 of chapter 2, Rahab says, All who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. All who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Now, hear that. Everyone in the whole country believed in God. Every single one of them knew about about this God of this people that was invaded. They all believed. But by the time you get to Joshua chapter six, it's only Rahab and her family who are saved. They all believe, but only some are saved. So what distinguishes Rahab, her belief or her faith from her fellow countrymen? You actually get the answer in the New Testament when you go to, Paul, go to the uh, letter of James, James chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Here James is speaking about the nature of faith, and he says this. You see, a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, it was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Rahab had genuine faith in God. How do you know? It? Well, she sheltered the spies. That is, she trusted God in the face of enormous risk. Humanly speaking, who would you have backed? Uh, the ragtag bunch of visualites had been wandering around the desert, had no equipment. Um, were pretty frail, or the well-fortified city of Jericho with its well-equipped army that was drilled to repel invaders. Friends, they were strong. They were secure. They were settled. But Rahab believed in God, and she acted in line with her belief. That is the difference. It was faith in practice. Can I say that every day, there is pressure to not put your faith into practice. Um, when was the last time any of you went to a, a financial advisor who said, whoa, slow down. You've got plenty of money to last you for two lifetimes. right? And No one ever gives that sort of advice, do they? You know, it's just not the way in which it works. We're encouraged to keep thinking in terms of our life and our security built around our resources. And yet, the scriptures speak to us about the contrast between this world and heaven and encourages us to store up wealth in heaven. That's the true nature of faith, to put your trust there, not in what you have now. Faith in practice. Uh, there'll be some here this morning who are dabbling in sin and you know you're doing it. So why? It's because for some reason you think that sin at this point will provide you a significance or happiness in a way that God himself cannot do. And you are encouraged to put your faith in Jesus and not Dabble in sin. Faith means repenting of that sort of sin. You might have friends who think you're pretty stupid because you're a Christian. And I think the greatest temptation in that situation is to go quiet. And sort of be a, an undercover Christian at that point. And not be too overt because you don't want people to think you're stupid. Faith at that point is saying, above all else, I trust in the Lord of heaven and earth, and I own that at the expense of every single every single other thing. Or maybe today you've realized that you're like all the people in Jericho, you've believed in God for years. But you're not like Rahab, who's actually repented and acted to line up with the, God of the, Lord of, the Lord of heaven and earth and to put your trust in him. You've had that mental acknowledgement of that reality but not taken the step. And if that's you, you ought to change that and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, Rahab is an extraordinary teacher, about what it means to be a follower of God. So here's the question I want to finish with. What has she taught you today? What have you learnt from Rahab? Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that uh, as we come to this part of your word, it's it's a surprising word, a puzzling word in lots of ways, and yet, Father, we thank you uh, that you and your mercy uh, powerfully worked in uh, Rahab to convince her to put her trust in you and Father we pray that we will learn from her, we'll learn what it means to be people who understand your grace, who perceive your mercy, who understand your authority and power, that you're the Lord of heaven and earth and Father we pray that that understanding of you will dominate our minds and our hearts so that will be people who live in line with that truth and actually put our faith into practice. Uh, Father, help us to be learners, learners from the Lord Jesus Christ, learners from Rahab who points us to the Lord Jesus Christ, people who willingly and humbly realise that we need you uh, to graciously step in and reveal yourself to us constantly as we keep learning and growing and working out what it means to follow you. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.